Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and merciful Father, we pray that you would have your hand ready to be able to help us. Lord, as we seek to be able to understand your word, as we long for your salvation, help us, Lord, to be able to have your word as our delight in our hearts. Let our souls live and praise you. Let your rules help us this very day. As we go astray like lost sheep, that you would come and find us and seek us. As we hope and pray that we would not forget your promises. We give you thanks and praise that even if we do forget, Lord, you have not forgotten us. Help us this very morning through the work of the Spirit in our hearts that you would receive that glory which is due your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 to 26. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose... I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. And whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire came down to the earth, And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such has never been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. 
And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. This is the seventh sign and wonder. The longest in all of the separate signs and wonder, we enter now into the third cycle. Plagues one to three begin the cycles of three plagues each. The first two announced to Pharaoh, the first in the morning, the second later, and then the third is unannounced. And then four, five, and six together as a cycle. And in all of these signs, we see the repetition of this constant melody that flows throughout, but each time as it intensifies, we see more and understand more of what is happening. These major themes of God's power, God's preservation, His punishment, the purpose. And we see these all unwind and unpack as we go through. And God has shown His power in the last six signs and wonders, bringing death and destruction on the land of Egypt. And this takes this devastating effect to the nation This nation that might have stood proudly once and said that they are indestructible, able to withstand the effects of drought and famine. But at the end of every passage, we get the constant refrain that repeats, or something to the effect, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Lord had told Pharaoh through Moses, for now, I could have put, you, uh, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, that you would have been cut off from the earth. The Lord mentions here that he could have simply, right at the very beginning, sent a pestilence along all the, the people of Egypt and they would have been wiped off the face of the earth. They would have all fallen down silently. A lethal disease that could have put them all to death. Yet the Lord didn't do it this way. The Lord chose to be able to show his, his power and His might through visible signs. You just even imagine this as the storm clouds come upon the land of Egypt and hail, enormous sizes of hail, bigger than golf balls falling, lightning flashing across the sky. And you think about the great and glorious God that sent this upon Egypt. He could have silently wiped them all out, and yet he shows his power and his might through these visible, powerful signs and wonders that has never been seen before. And most of the time, he explains to Pharaoh exactly what is going to happen. Again, they're not small signs. These are great signs of a grand scale. Whole Nile to blood, frogs covering the whole land, found in every crevice, kneading bowls, flies and gnats that cover the ground and the sky, death of livestock, boils over all the people of Egypt and their animals. And the Lord is doing something through these signs and wonders. And in this passage, we understand exactly why the Lord is doing it this way. 
Why is there so many? Why are they so big and so grand? The first thing that we see in this passage that the Lord is making himself known. The Lord is making himself known. We is told that he's going to have all these plagues descend upon him. None like there is across the earth, so that he would know that there is none like the Lord over all the earth. Pharaoh is told that the Lord will send all of these plagues on Pharaoh's heart. That's what you see there in the very beginning. Verse 14, for this I will send all my plagues on yourself. But actually the word there is on your heart. He's sending all of these plagues on Pharaoh's heart. When the first heard about the Lord and his people, Pharaoh asked the question in chapter 5, who is the Lord? And Pharaoh worships a plethora of gods, false gods, thinking that these false gods and idols are the ones who will protect him, provide for him, make him a prosperous nation, and yet all of these gods are unable to protect him, to provide for him or his nation. And then there is no God like the one true living God. Particularly, again, we're reminded the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. We shouldn't then be surprised when we reach the Ten Commandments and the Lord instructs the nation of Israel people of God at Sinai, in the first commandment, he says that you shall have no other gods before me. Westminster Shorter Catechism explains that this, what is required of the first commandment, we often hear the Ten Commandments and we think it tells us what not to do, but in that telling us of what not to do, there is also a positive requirement within the commandment. What's required of the first commandment? The Shorter Catechism explains the first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the holy, true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. And the first aspect of what it requires us to do is to be able to know who God is. To know and acknowledge Him that He is the one true living God. We'll speak more of this when we get to Exodus chapter 20. But here God is sending these plagues that people may know who he is. That there is none like him. No, no, no God of Egypt is able to save Pharaoh. He is more powerful and more mighty than all of the gods of Egypt. There is none like the Lord in all the earth. The second thing that we see in this passage is that God makes his power known. In all of these signs and wonders, we see that Pharaoh will know of God's power. We're told actually this is the reason God raised up Pharaoh to be able to show his power. Not only do we see these signs and wonders through all of what he has done, the power through signs and wonders, 
But it's even hard for us to be able to begin to wrap our minds around this, our small, finite brains. But Pharaoh sits on the throne because God placed him there. God raised him up. We often think that God is there just merely responding to the world as it happens, reacting and saying, well, that was a bad thing. Well, let me twist it and distort it, and let's make it into a good thing. Now, that might be easier for us to be able to fathom. But this should really worry us if that's our basis, our theology. Because we would have no hope in tomorrow. God merely reacts in what happens, then what we would have is hoping that God would be able to react in a positive way. We have no certainty of what is to come, no certainty in the promises of God. God cannot make a promise unless things act in a certain way. How can we know that there is eternal life? Because he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's merely reacting to what happens before him. It's much easier for us to say that God will use bad situations to help us out, or he'll turn them into good in the end. Read the headlines, scroll through your media feed, your social media feed. Although it might be sound good that hoping God will be able to make things this bad thing into a good thing, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us of a bigger God, a God who is powerful and sovereign over all things. Everything is used for God's glory. God ordains everything that shall come to pass. And here, wicked Pharaoh sits on the throne because God has raised him up and put him there. Now, Pharaoh still has his hard heart. It is still Pharaoh's sin that seeks in his life to be able to make these choices opposed to God and what God requires. The people of God were enslaved because God ordained it to happen that way, that he might be able to show forth his power and his glory. And we start to ask questions. But this is the only way that we can have comfort and salvation if there is a powerful God who is sovereign over all things. But often what we then seek to do is we then seek to be able to start questioning God and saying, you don't fit into the boxes that I have. It's exactly the problem in the story of Job and his friends. They're looking at the world in a certain lens, and they cannot fathom how God can be in either of those lenses. But God was bigger than what they understood. We need to understand that God is not the author of sin. It is Pharaoh's sin here that is holding him back from letting the people go. who sinned in the book of Exodus, it is clearly Pharaoh. God is not guilty. God uses the agent of Pharaoh to be able to carry out his plan for his purposes, as you see in this passage. 
that God raises Pharaoh up? Now, Pharaoh might have a completely different plan and purpose. But that does not, that's not what matters. When, when Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, his brothers intended to hurt and harm him for evil things. We're told that in Genesis 50, verse 20. But it's not that then God just turned that bad thing, that evil thing, into a good thing. God had a plan and a purpose the whole time along. It was to save not only Joseph, but all of his brothers and his family, that he would be able to carry his promise through. So what is evil in the hearts of man is good in the heart of God. Even think about the cross. You think about what happened on the cross with Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. A part of God's infinite foreknown plan that he sent, his son. What is evil in the hearts of man is good for, in the heart of God. Then people would kill Christ, his only begotten son, that he might be raised to de- from the dead to be able to save all of his people. What man intended for evil, God intends and for good. And here Pharaoh sits on the throne with his own plan and purpose, and we're told in verse 17 that Pharaoh continues to exalt himself. Be stand proud before God. But God's plan is not about Pharaoh's pride. God's plan is about saving his people, redeeming his people. Not only that, but to be able to make his power known to all the nations. And we'll get there shortly. But this asks the question, does then God act unjustly? Is there injustice on God's part? How can God judge sinners for sinning when God uses their sin to carry out his purpose and his plan? How can anyone resist God's will? They're great questions. Actually, they're questions the Apostle Paul sought to be able to answer in Romans chapter 9. And Paul asks, asks these questions. He actually uses Pharaoh as an example. Actually, he quotes Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. And in Romans, this chapter, in Romans chapter 9, Paul is explaining the question Has God's plan failed? Did God not keep his word and his promises to those in the nation of Israel? But Paul argues that it's not that God's word has failed. It's actually did exactly what God had intended to do. In the case of Pharaoh, God shows mercy to those whom he shows mercy. But God has also hardened whom he desires to harden. You see that in Romans chapter 9, verse 18. And Paul then uses this great illustration of a potter and the clay. And here the the potter throws the lump of clay on the turning wheel and he starts to turn it for whatever he is making. And the clay calls back and says, I do not want to be what you're making me into. I don't want to be a teapot. I want to be a cup. Is this ludicrous argument of the clay talking back to the potter. Who is the one that forms it? Who is the one that molds it? Who is the one who is above it? How true this is in today's world. Everyone is told, be who you want to be. There's no potter in this world that we live. 
There's no one that shapes us, molds us, makes us. It's just all of us are lumps of clay, hoping and desiring to be whoever we want to be. The potter has made you a certain way, well, we've got a doctor that can change that. Not merely just on a physical level, but in all reality, we all do this. We're made for a particular purpose to be able to glorify in God and enjoy God forever, and yet what do we do? We say we don't want to do that. I want to glorify myself. I want to enjoy these desires which are within myself. We all are the screaming clay at the potter. But here, God is making his power known to Pharaoh. He is above all that he is on that throne because God has placed him there. The third thing that we see is God is making his patience known. God is making his patience known. Later in, the Roman, in Romans chapter 9, Paul asks the question, what if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And is this not what we see in Exodus chapter 9 as well? That God is showing forth his judgments upon the nation of Israel, particularly of Pharaoh, his wrath, but also his power. But how does he do that? These are vessels prepared for destruction as the potter has shaped them, but he does so with patience. And we see them all in these signs and wonders. That here Pharaoh is hardening his heart. He is holding on to his own sin. But you cannot look and read through these signs and wonders and say that God is not patient in all of this. You cannot say that Pharaoh is not warned. That Pharaoh did not know. That Pharaoh did not have a chance or a second chance or a third chance. He had ten chances, nine chances. And the Lord gives us a warning almost at every single sign and wonder, giving specific times, specific things that are going to happen. And even in this sign and wonder, you see it very clearly. He said, hail is going to come. Bring in your workers and your animals from the field. And what do people do? The people who fear the Lord did exactly just that. They listen. But then there's those who did not pay attention or heed the warning. And what happened? Death. And Paul says in Romans chapter 9 that the Lord endures with much patience. And we often think that God's patience is only displayed to those who are His. But God is patient in, in who He is, that He is slow to anger. It's displayed to all because it's who God is. It's his character. That God is not one of haste and a spur-of-the-moment reaction. That God is long-suffering. He shows his patience even to vessels of wrath. Not only just any type of patience. Here Paul explains in Romans 9 that it is through much patience. Again, how much patience is God showing to Pharaoh even though this death and destruction is coming, 
these chances that Pharaoh gets to be able to turn and repent. Now he turns and repents at, at this sign and wonder, but it's not a true repentance. But he is slow to anger. God's mercy and his grace is endless. It's abounding, never ceasing, the Bible says. But what it does say is it says he is slow to anger. That there is a time where the anger will come. There is a time where his wrath will be poured out in full. There is a time when his patience expires. Now that patience is a lot more than what we call patience. Paul, Peter says this clearly in Second Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Your God is patient towards you. Why is God patient towards us? so that we would not perish. He gives us that chance to be able to repent. That his patience always has a purpose. And that purpose is repentance. He gives us a chance to be able to turn to him and say that we have fallen, that we need Christ. And Paul makes that exact same point in Romans chapter 2. Or do you presume on the richness of his kindness and forbearance and his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? Here, do we just sit there and say, well, God is, is patient with us, therefore we don't need to change? Well, that's not what the Bible says. God is patient for us that we can change, that he does want us to change, that he calls us to repent. And Pharaoh continually does not heed that message. He does not change his mind. He's always warned about what is coming next, but there will be a time when there is no next. There will not be, he does not get told when the last chance will be. This is a dangerous way to live thinking that tomorrow was certain, that we have days ahead of us. We look at our life and we look at our statistics and we say, well, we have much before us. Well, statistics are only useful for information. They can never be applied to individuals. If you flip a coin ten times and it always lands on heads, the, same, the chance that it's going to go heads or tails is exactly the same time. There's no change because of what statistics have. Do not assume that tomorrow is there. Do not assume that you will just have God's patience forever before you. Repent. Turn to Him. Just because He is patient with us today does not mean that his patience endures forever because that's not what the Bible says. Do not think that tomorrow is the day that you will finally repent. Today is the day that we repent and turn to God. 
Do not think that you do not need Jesus today. Maybe tomorrow. God's mercies are new every morning, but we do not have that promise about God's patience. The call to patience is a call to repent. And the last final thing that we see in this passage is God is making his name proclaimed. All of this happens that God will be known to Pharaoh. He will know who he is, what his power is, and his patience. But all of it is done that all of the whole earth would be able to know who God is. And Moses tells Pharaoh that God raised him up to show God's power so that all the people in all the earth would hear about the one true living God. This is exactly what Paul goes into in Romans chapter 9. His argument continues to show he hardens Pharaoh's heart. He shows mercy to whom he shows mercy. He hardens Pharaoh's heart to carry out his purposes. And the what if question that Paul starts with in verse 22, explaining that God patiently endures with vessels of wrath, he explains in order to make the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And here he shows that in these vessels of mercy, uh, wrath are there to be able to show God's glory to the vessels of mercy. These vessels which are made by the potter to be able to receive mercy. The difference is that God shows one vessel his power and his wrath, but another he shows his mercy. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. We are exactly like the rest of mankind, children of wrath, and yet God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive together in Christ. We cannot seek to be able to understand God's sovereign plan of salvation And Paul explains in Romans that we often ask the wrong question. The question seeks to be able to put God in the stand and interrogate Him. Is He being just? Is He being unjust on His part? However, he asks the question, what if God's plan didn't fail? What if God's promises did exactly what God promised to be able to do? That God shows His power, but also He shows His mercy. This is exactly what happens in the story of Exodus. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who who worships false gods, eventually will exclaim in chapter 18, that I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He hears of all these signs and wonders and how God redeems his people. And Moses, he tells Jethro, and Jethro says, I know. We're continuing to read along. And then what about the prostitute in the the walls of Jericho? And she comes and she hears about these great things that God has done, his power and his might, and she too is a believer. This is the main story of the Bible. It's not only that some would know who God is, but they would know of his wonderful power and might and his mercy and his grace that they would be able to hear of this God of salvation and believe. They would hear of God's power and His salvation shown in the gospel message of the cross. 
That's exactly what Paul explains in Romans chapter 10. After using the example of vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath, of God saving Gentiles and God saving Jews according to his promises, he then goes on to say that we need preachers to go and tell the good news of the gospel. We need people to go tell Rahab's. As she heard from somewhere of this great and glorious God who does these great and glorious things. We need people to tell of God's never-ending mercy and His abundant grace. We need to tell people about God's patient. God is patient towards us that we might repent. This is why when Christ, before He ascended into heaven, He charged the disciples to be his witnesses, not only in the region in which they were, where they lived, but Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the first thing they did was prayed. The next was they preached. And this is the two ways that the church carries out of that mission. Not only to be able to know God, but to be able to make him known to the ends of the earth. Through prayer. Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Luke that the harvest is plenty, but laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that God would raise up harvesters. And go and preach. Tell people. This grace which is there, this mercy and patience. Let us praise God for His mercy that He has shown to us, but also pray that others would be able to hear of God's good grace and His mercy, His patience. That we would see our part to play in God's mission and to know God, but also to make Him known. That we would be patient with those around us, as Paul explains to Timothy. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the first foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Let us pray that we would be example of God's patience, bearing fruit of repentance. Do we seek to be able to tell others about who this God is? This great and glorious God in which we serve. Is there someone in your life you could begin to pray for that they might be able to hear this great and glorious news of salvation, of grace and mercy? Who's someone you could tell of this great and glorious news? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you so much for passages like this, although hard to be able to wrap and fathom our, our small minds around, but yet, Lord, when we look above the heavens, when we see of your glory and your might, Lord, as we see not to be able to place you in a small box, Lord, but to be able to worship you for all of your glory and your splendor, we pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart to be able to show forth and proclaim of your love and your mercy, your patience, which leads to repentance. Help us to do that. Give us boldness to be able to do that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook 
or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.